Coming up on Chasing the Natty, fall camps have finally begun. The final countdown to the season has begun, and we're looking to find answers to questions we've had all off-season. To help us explore these camps across the country, I've brought on Joe Broback from the College Football Network to discuss some of these storylines we'll have our eyes on the most over the next couple of weeks. We'll also touch on the recent gambling situation at Iowa State, injuries, both new and updated, as well as a potential NIL situation brewing at UCLA. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown! Marvelous Mark! Ball next to the outside, drop down for Franklin! Oh, majestic! Touchdown! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning at 6 a.m. If you want to support the great work that we are doing, head on over to campusofcanton.com and subscribe there with one of our amazing tiers. I usually say three amazing tiers, but I will get to it in a second. Some additional tiers we offered recently. You guys are going to love it. You'll find everything you need there for your CFF, Devi, and C2C needs, including rankings, articles, tools, and even more than that on youtube you also see our cff mock draft live streams where we do a cff draft every sunday night live with a different guest up until the start of the season this week we had on a very special guest in parker fleming you guys might know him better as stats of war on twitter that was an absolutely awesome time so you guys definitely need to go check out that show right there you can also find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. A couple of other housekeeping notes here for you guys. First of all, our home field discount is still going on. So if you are looking for awesome vintage college football team paraphernalia, head on over to Home Field Apparel. You can type in the promo code Campus2Canton, and we will get uh, your gear off for 20 excuse me, 15%, excuse me. In addition to that, all of your CFF drafts, I imagine, are right around the corner, and you don't want to be caught lacking. And in order to help you out with that, go and get our CFF guide for only 20 bucks on the Campus Again website. We got breakdowns for all 133 teams, as well as rankings for quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, all of that good jazz. We got schedule breakdowns, tons of great stuff with that. Totally, totally worth every cent that you have. And last but not least, got some a very exciting announcement this past week from Campus to Canton. I touched on it last week, but we got a lot more details for you guys this week. We at Campus to Canton are adding in Mr. Nicholas Ian Allen and the CFB Winning Edge uh, Patreon to our website. We now have the C2C Winning Edge package as part of our website. That includes depth charts updated daily for all 133 fbs teams in-depth returning production data for all of those teams uh 
this upcoming week, we're going to be getting some projected, um, some player projections for the year. You'll already find there's some projected point spreads, um, individual player ratings for over 11,000 players, as well as injury reports and transfer portal info pretty much updated as soon as we learn. That right there is only is available for 15 bucks a month, or you can get it for $150 for the year. And if you want everything that is included on the Campus Kent website that includes the C2C Winning Edge package and all of the great tools we have, you can get that for just $22 a month. It is absolutely awesome stuff over there. Enough with the spiel there, Jared. You've been going on way too long. Let's actually start talking about some college fantasy football here and introduce your guest to you who has been waiting patiently over here while you've been talking for forever. Mr. Joe Broback from the College Football Network. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Jared. How are you? I'm, do- I'm doing fantastic. Again, got a, got a wild day ahead of me here. Again, we just had a storm pop up like two minutes ago. It was like hailing and everything. And I went to look on the radar. I was like, oh, this must have been like a massive storm. It's like a tiny little, tiny little blob just right over, right over us here in Lawrenceville, Georgia. No clue where it came from. Came and went in like twenty minutes. But um, I'm ha- I'm having a great time. Joe, you you've been busy, my friend, over the last couple of months. I mean, you just had your I think you set your second kid. So congratulations there. And then you thank also you, you. you also released your CFB preview magazine, which is an absolute beast of a resource for anybody to use and it is for the low low price of free so joe why don't you tell us a little bit about that what kind of went into it what you think college fantasy football players can get out of that and then we'll kind of get right into the meat of the show yeah the the preview is just something i've always wanted to do uh it's my fourth issue Uh, it's the fourth year doing that and it's just uh, really it's i mean it's to share my passion of college football with people Uh, to be able to preview all 133 teams, talk about positions, talk about college fantasy, that kind of stuff. Um, So it's just a little bit of everything in whatever limited time I have to put something like this together. Uh, So again, there's all 133 teams. There are preview for each one, superlatives, all different kinds of stuff there. Uh, So it's just really fun to be able to put together. Uh, And obviously you can find that on my, uh, my pinned tweet on my Twitter page. Yes, sir. And again, like guys, it, I, I was literally talking to Joe before the show. I was like, dude, this is over a four, this is over a 400 page document and it is detailed, like wall to wall filled with details for every single team, all these different players and everything like that. Like it is not him just fill in blank space with different things, y'all. It is great information right there. And I cannot believe that he offered it for free. I was literally telling him before the show, I'm like, how did you offer this for free? This is absolutely insane. Um, Joe, fall camps have begun. We're starting to get some information from around the country. Again, we speculate and speculate all summer because we don't really get anything super tangible during the summer. Um, Kind of, again, the last couple of weeks here on CTN, we've been doing crash courses, which really have been kind of a conglomeration of what we have learned throughout the season. Um, But now we're getting to fall camp. We're getting a probably a better idea for a lot of these programs right here in terms of what they're going to look like but already in the first couple of weeks here we have some pretty big news that have been hitting around the country here so we're going to touch on some of that first before we get into the storylines we'll be watching moving forward so 
Let's talk about some of these news nuggets, the first of which will be an injury, unfortunately. You always hate to see this right at the start of fall camp, but wide receiver out of Wake Forest, Donovan Green, went down with a non-contact injury about a week ago now, I would say. Again, I think it was the 31st that he went down. They said that they were going to get like an official diagnosis within 48 hours, but if they have a diagnosis, they have not shared it with the rest of the public. But obviously, anytime you see the words non-contact, that is immediately a red flag for a lot of people because usually non-contact means something like an ACL tear, especially if they needed to be helped off the field with that. And unfortunately, Green has already had an ACL tear before. And a lot of times people who have already had an ACL tear once can be prone to do so again. So if that is the case, you definitely hate to see it. Joe... Obviously no, obviously, no confirmation that he'll be out for the season or anything like that. But let's say this is the worst-case scenario here at Wake Forest. Donovan Green is out. We kind of expected him to be the wide receiver two, if not the wide receiver one for them. Who, who do you see stepping up in his place? Well, I think we already saw it last year with Jamal Banks kind of stepping up, even with people not really expecting him to do anything. And obviously, you know, we, we've seen Green deal with injuries and honestly, it's it's interesting how non-contact injuries have escalated. Uh, really, since I feel like since Teddy Bridgewater had that had that injury in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings, I feel like non-contact injuries have just taken on a whole new dramatic turn. For what does this mean for them? What is this guy going to do this year? Is he out? That kind of stuff. But I think that Wake Forest still has a good group of receivers. Yep. You know, you have you have Banks, you have Taylor Marin. And even if Green does come back, I think you have two guys that will make life a little bit easier. Now, obviously, losing Sam Hartman factors into that as well. But Donovan Green's a special talent. But I think with the offense that they run and the talent that they have returning, I don't see a huge drop off in store. But obviously, it's still a big loss to lose a guy like Green. Oh, of course, it's a huge loss. Again, this is like I said, this is a guy that at worst is going to be their wide receiver, two for them this year. Knowing the Wake Forest out offense, the outside guys are huge for the production of this offense. In terms of guys I see stepping up, um, again, Walker Merrills was a name that was started to um, be put out there as a guy that was, you know, with Green out. He was kind of taking those first team reps right there. Probably instantly available in every single one of your college fantasy leagues because that is just not a name that a lot of us have really kind of thrown out there. Keyshawn Williams is another name I think people need to keep an eye on. He got plenty of run last year. He was somebody else that people were kind of looking to maybe make a step forward this year. And then last but not least, a true freshman last year. He's a true sophomore this year. Wesley Grimes, wide receiver, um, a former four-star wide receiver there. I think he's another name that people need to kind of keep an eye out for as we go through fall camp here, see if he can kind of take advantage of that. More injuries here going over to the West Coast now from the East Coast. Let's go talk about the Cal running back situation over here. Cal brought in a crap ton of running backs this year. And quite frankly, it looks like we're kind of seeing the reason why. It's not just because Spavall tends to kind of split things up there between running backs. But Byron Cardwell now officially out for the season. The former Oregon running back. A lot of people expected him to be the clear number two there at Cal 
but he's out for the season. Then also, former four-star running back out of Tennessee, Justin Williams-Thomas, is now also listed as day-to-day. So they clearly were kind of dealing with some running back depth issues going on there. Kind of explains why they brought in a guy like Isaiah Ifanze there from Sony Brook near the end. Joe, what? how do you see this Cal running back room kind of breaking down? Does this kind of open up the opportunity back up for Jaden? A lot of us were a little bit hesitant to start drafting him again in college fantasy leagues this year because Spavito likes to split the ball up a little bit between his running backs. They were bringing in so many different guys. But with them losing Cardwell, and they're now, I would say, kind of being a gap between Ott and the next guy up there, what do you think? Yeah, uh, there's two two factors to that. Obviously, if you watch Jay Knott's film, he's an incredible talent, very explosive runner. And it's un- sometimes I feel like it's unfortunate that he's on Al and not on a different offense because I think the damage he could do is greater at, at another program. But but I like that they bring Spavadol in. I think that opens things up for the offense. Obviously, now that puts more pressure on the quarterback and the passing attack to take sure. a step forward. And I think if anything it maybe forces Spavadol's hand to go away from maybe what he traditionally likes to do. Obviously you're not going to give Ott every single touch. You still want to find some depth because then otherwise you're, you're probably going to see Ott go down with an injury too. So it's never a bad thing to have depth. And like you said, they brought in a lot of talent. That was another thing I noted too, was how many running backs they brought in this off season. And, you know, obviously you can't predict injuries. You, you don't have any idea of who's going to be healthy and whatnot. So I think it's it's good for Jade Knott, anybody that's looking to boost his stock or take him in the upcoming leagues. I think that's a good thing for him. But in, in the long run, you'd like to see maybe a little bit more depth guys stay healthy behind him so that when he does need a break, he doesn't have to stay on the field and overwork himself. Yeah, and I think that's where one, ju- I mean, Justin Williams Thomas, again, he's day to day. He's going to be probably healthy for a decent chunk of the season there. So that's going to provide some help there. And then again, Isaiah Ifanze. I said out of Stony Brook, that was a mistake on my part. He uh, was the starting running back for Montana State for the last four years. So again, I think that's a, that's he's going to be hugely important without Cardwell there because that is a ton of experience right there. I think he'll be clearly the RB2 moving forward, um, especially if the, those injuries linger there for JWT right there. Another injury here, just so much injuries going on here. But this one is kind of one we've kind of known for a while. DeCorian Clark tore his ACL near the end of the season last year. And it looked like for the longest time that he was on track to be good to go for game one. There's a lot of positive reports for him in terms of how his recovery was going during the spring. Um, basically saying it was a clean ACL tear, which if for those of you who don't know, again, I'm not like a medical expert over here, but I know enough that like a clean ACL tear has a much shorter recovery time than one that is not so or like a partial tear and everything. So again, it looks like he was on track there for a um, quick recovery there. But now we are being told that at least for now, he is not active in practice to start fall camp. Based on Jeff Trailer's words, he says that we will not put him out there unless he's ready to go. This sounds more precautionary than anything else, at least how I'm reading it. But Joe, do you kind of read into the same thing there? Do you think this is precautionary? Or do you think there's a little bit something more here? 
Yeah, I think it is precautionary. When you look at an injury like that, and especially with them losing Zakari Franklin, you can't really risk putting a guy in earlier than expected. And even know what Clark's all about. It's not like this is a new guy who's trying to prove his worth. It's not a, a transfer coming in who's trying to get acclimated to this new scheme, to this new culture. Clark's been there. He, he knows what is expected of him. And obviously, he's going to take on a bigger role this year. But why put him in when you already know what he can do when you can develop the, I mean, it's really a great opportunity to develop depth behind him. So you, you have Cephas and Clark back as your top two options. So I think that it's a smart move by trailer. I'm not really surprised that they're doing this, but again, you're trying to make sure that he comes back fully healthy. So you get him the entire season because you lose a talent like Franklin and you're joining a new conference that will elevate the level of competition. So you need yeah. everybody going at hundred percent and it, Right now, the, you're obviously you're doing install, and you still have to get used to. You know, you've been off for so long; you have to get that chemistry back with Frank Harris. But honestly, I'm not super worried about it. This is honestly what I would expect from a coach with with a player in this situation. Just let him rest. Don't rush him into anything. And when he decides he's ready to go, you know what you're getting. You know that when he's ready to go, he's going to give you 100. percent So I I wouldn't expect anything else from this team. I think that's a very good point about the fact that he is a veteran presence on this team. They're they're not trying to elevate him from where he was last year. He was plenty good enough last year. In fact, before he went down with injury last year, he was outproducing Zakari Franklin. And Zakari Franklin just ran off to Ole Miss and is now playing at a power five level. So Clark's a good receiver. They, I agree with you. They're they're gonna rest him, they're gonna make sure he's good to go. You talked about them developing depth behind him and Cephas. Besides him and Cephas. Who are some receivers that you kind of have your eye on? Again, us in this fantasy community, each of us kind of have our different guy that we like as that potential third option there at UTSA. Do you have a favorite there, Joe? I don't necessarily have a favorite at the wide receiver position. I think our Oscar Cardenas is a super underrated talent at tight end, a big target for Frank Harris and another veteran who's been with this program for a while. So to me, it's the tight end position actually, that will be that third, maybe even second, if Clark's not going early that Frank Harris will look for, because he has that comfort knowing that he is a reliable pass catcher of that position. All righty, let's move on. We got three more quick hitter uh, news roundups to hit on. So let's move on over to a thing i did not make a graphic for i must have accidentally just completely overcovered it um let's talk about the iowa state scandal that has uh been put out there for us this past week this was as far as chris chris moxley says this all the time on twitter and i kind of agree with him for the longest time this was the worst kept secret in college football it has been there's been rumblings for a while that there was some kind of gambling scandal going on at iowa state with some pretty big time players and one of the names that was heavily involved with that for the long longest time was starting quarterback hunter deckers now there are some other names that were rumored along with that um, that are pretty big names on the offense and i don't think i'm going to get that into that today because i don't want to spread rumors around too much right now but even still it looks like iowa state will be without hunter deckers for this year he is not at fall practice right now it's it seems pretty clear that it, he's likely to miss the entirety of the season here so that kind of leaves the door open to Rocco Brett and as well as potentially true freshman JJ Cole at quarterback. Joe, Iowa State was already kind of in a tough position here 
going into the season regardless. Now they lose their starting quarterback. What does this offense look like if they true if they are or I, I say if they're going to be without Deckers for the year? I think you're. It's tough because last year you were bringing in Deckers for the first time in terms of being a full time starter, and you went through that transition, and now you have to essentially do it all over again, which isn't a great position to be in for Matt Campbell. And I, I don't know. It was going to be a tough season to begin with, although I I like when Iowa State is back to being an underdog because that's when they're the most dangerous, in my opinion, when nobody's really paying attention to them. But I think that the step that Deckers was going to take this year was would have made a big difference, and now you're essentially starting over with a fresh face. Who that's going to be, I have no idea. Honestly, with everything, I feel like everybody – it feels like anybody could be brought up in this, you just don't know who's safe and who's a, who's actually going to get suspended. So it's kind of like a TBD, which is a really poor time to be a TBD, especially when you have your starting quarterback missing the entire season. So this is a scenario that was brought up in our CFF chat at, um, at Campus of Canton. I forget who said it might have been Nick Allen or Chris K, but one of them just put in the chat, Iowa State starting quarterback Spencer Sanders. You think that's a possibility, Joe? I think it's better than what he would do at Ole Miss. I think that you have with Jackson Dart and Walker Howard, I think that's the future. So what's the point of, I don't know, Spencer Sanders doesn't move the meter for me if you're an Ole Miss fan. And if you need someone who's kind of a Band-Aid, Spencer Sanders is solid enough where you can get some useful reps out of him and maybe kind of stabilize this program that suddenly finds themselves in a shaky situation. So I, I won't say no, I don't hate the idea, uh, but yeah, you're kind of in a tough spot. So maybe putting a bandaid on it like that would make things a little bit less bad. Yeah, it would definitely make sense in a lot, in my opinion, right there. Again, we'll learn more about the Iowa state situation over the next coming weeks. Uh, but let's move on over to Boise state where the Broncos have unfortunately learned that they will be without their leading returning receiver in Latrell Capels, he is out for the season with a leg injury. Now, this was not a guy that a lot of people were really looking to grab in CFF because Boise State's just going to run the ball and run the ball some more this year, which they should. They got an incredible tandem at running back there between Halani and um, GNT. I don't know why I blanked on his name there for a second. I love GNT. Um, but even still, they're. Anytime a, anytime a school loses their top leading receiver coming back, like that's going to be a huge problem for them. So they need guys like Billy Bowen, Stephon Cobbs to kind of step on the, up in their place. Joe, if let's say they can't, like they like Latrell Capos again, not that he was like a world beater or anything like that, but they can't replace that production, and it does impact the passing game here. Do you think that could then maybe start to affect the running game here a little bit? Oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter how talented you are running the football. If you can't throw, teams are just going to load the box and you're going to basically have to prove that you can beat them over the top. And right now, I think there is some validity to that. I I believe teams think that Taylor Green has yet to show them what they need to respect him more. I think the talent is there. Obviously, it's his first, it was his first season last year. And I, I think that he has a higher ceiling than we expect. But, yeah, you're going to have to find ways to throw the football. And losing one of your top targets, even if they weren't the best wide receiver in college football, having that experience 
is a valuable asset to have. Now, you mentioned Billy Bones, Stephon Cobbs. You also have Riley Smith coming back at tight end. So there's there's a few options. They're, again, they're probably not the most explosive offense, uh, options in college football, but you're still looking at guys that bring you reliability, guys that you know you can look their way and they'll either be open, they'll bring down that pass. It, it's, I really like this offense still, but yeah, you still have to be able to throw the football because if not, there's no point of sending extra guys out deep uh, when you're just expecting the run, and then basically you just have to stop that trio uh, for Boise State. So, yeah, throwing the ball is important, and obviously this is a, a huge loss, uh, but I think if you're able to find balance, Boise State is going to get back to where everyone expects them to be, which is the top of the Mountain West. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. And then I, I, yeah, I named Billy Bones as Stefan Cobbs there, but another name to kind of keep an eye out here, and this name has been generating a lot of buzz here at the start of fall camp, is Mr. Prince Strawn is a true freshman wide receiver going into Boise State. Again, we kind of know what Stefan Cobbs and Billy Bowens kind of bring to the table for the most part. We don't really know the ceiling of this true freshman yet. And if reports are to be believed, he's definitely somebody to keep an eye out on as somebody who might be able to take that passing attack to the next level as long as Taylor Green can actually get in the ball. Um, let's move on to a transfer that we had this past week. Again, the grad transfers still be moving around, even though the transfer portal window closed several months ago, but Jamius Griffin, formerly of Oregon state transfers over to Ole Miss. So as with any transfer, there's kind of two ways to look at this. What do they leave behind and how are they impacting the school that they are now hitting on? I think if you are a Damon Martinez fan, you're just thanking God that it's one less person to vulture touchdowns away from him because that's kind of the big rub with Oregon State. They have clear number one guys, but the last couple of years, they've been spreading out those touchdowns amongst everybody. And you're already a little scared when you have DJU there who's probably going to vulture enough touchdowns. But then a guy like Jameis James Griffin out the window, probably going to be the RB3 there. So that's a good amount of carries that are gone right there. But now he's going over to Ole Miss. I don't think this affects Quinchon Judkins in the slightest. I think this is absolutely a depth move by Lane Kiffin and them over there. If anything, if you drafted um, Kendrick Riscano, the true freshman running back there, I know a lot of people are kind of hyped on him. I know Austin over here at Camp Skin thought that he could be the RB2 by year's end. I think this might dull that hype just a little bit because it's just going to make it to where it's going to be harder for Riscano to get onto the field with just the bodies ahead of him. But Joe, I kind of broke that down almost in full there, but do you have anything to add on this transfer? No, I, I think I agree with you. Lane Kiffin almost at times feels like he's just throwing mud at the wall and seeing what sticks with the transfer portal. But in a way you have to have the talent on the roster to be able to succeed. So it, if you're bringing in solid players like he is, I, I don't have too many concerns about that. If you're bringing in more, you know, maybe some questionable guys, then we have a different situation. But yeah, it's uh, I think it's still good for Quinshawn Judkins because in Ole Miss, because if he goes down, you have the depth behind him. And then at Oregon State really isn't affected, like you said, because they already have so many options. So it, maybe in terms of fantasy, it's not the greatest thing. But for those teams specifically, I think that makes makes sense for both sides. Yeah, I definitely agree. All right, well, last little bit of news roundup here. We're going to go over to UCLA and touch on this potentially developing situation over there at UCLA. Joe, have you heard about this yet? This this came across my feed this morning. 
I have not. This is new. I'm reading so, this for the first time. So let 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 me read you some quotes from Tracy Pearson, who is the uh, beat reporter over at uh, Bruins Two Four Seven. This this is what he had to say on his podcast recently. I can't tell you everything. This is this is a quote. I can't tell you everything. Let's just say hypothetically, there's a situation where there might be some frustration over an, the NIL situation. Continuing the quote. There's a lot of people who are close to the situation that are starting to think about it right now. It's a tough situation. I don't necessarily see this going, all going well. Quote, he's frustrated. Quote, it's either he's really good and then he goes out and markets himself for another NIL deal and probably transfers, or he doesn't win the position and he's frustrated anyway and leaves anyway. Quote, some will say I'm just speculating, but I'm not. Quote, I'll just say this. If it's... If it's Ethan Garbers, or if it, if it is even, even, Garbers should start, knowing some of the little politics going on. And if you get a five-star guy with a lot of NIL, this is big boy football, and you've got to step up and manage your five-star guy with NIL. I'll just say that. So basically, he's kind of implying that Dante Moore is not happy with the NIL situation going on at UCLA. Maybe there were some deals tied into he has to win the starting job to get the NIL out of that, but it sounds like that things go sour pretty quickly between UCLA and their prize from this last year's recruiting class pretty quickly here. And this is coming from a guy who is pretty plugged into the UCLA program. So Joe, your response to this, what do you think? I think this is kind of one of the things that will happen with NIL and people who are against NIL will point to this as like, this is why it's bad. This is why, obviously it's not great. You don't want a, a guy coming in and then the NIL is the reason why he's leaving, but you have to expect the good with the bad. I, don't know. You th I think that a lot of people might overreact to this just because Dante Moore is such a highly coveted player. Mm -hmm. And it's in the end when he starts playing and if he starts playing well, we're really not going to remember this. But again, I, I don't think we should really overreact to this. If you knew anything about NAL and what it was going to bring, you knew that situations like this would arise. And yeah. obviously it's dramatic and people wish that it wasn't a thing that happened, but it, it's just, it's going to happen. Sometimes people are going to be unhappy with their situation and you know what, whatever, if they want to move on, they, they will move on. The transfer portal has proven that you need to not only recruit the, the guys that are coming in, but you also have to recruit the guys that are on your roster to keep them there. So coaches that are, are in college football right now understand what's going on. They know what they have to do. Chip Kelly is not oblivious to the fact that he, he was going to have to keep Dante more happy one way or another. Now, obviously he only has so much control over that, but it's, it shouldn't be news to Chip Kelly and the staff that something like this could happen. Yeah, no, for sure. I think this is, what's the old adage, live by the sword, died by the sword. UCLA, UCLA was very clear early on. They're, they were getting involved with NIL. They were going to be one of those schools that was going to at least use it to land some of these big fish. They pulled away Dante Moore from Oregon at the last minute. It was pretty clear from Dante Moore's camp that a lot of his recruitment was kind of centered around NIL as well. Like you said, Joe, if you have a guy you're bringing in who you know his recruitment centered around NIL, that's something you got to get right. You can't be kind of pulling the wool over this guy's eye. And I'm, I'm not in blaming the staff here, or I mean, I'm sure Dante Moore isn't blameless in this as well. But at the same time, like 
you kind of knew what you were getting here. If this is really the situation that's kind of going down with UCLA and everything, and he's not happy that he isn't the starter right out of the gate, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for UCLA. The people I do have sympathy for are the people who drafted Dante Moore in the first round of their supplemental drafts in CFF Dynasty and stuff like that, expecting to get a guy that was going to be a three-year starter who, if this sours greatly, he may not start at all this year, let alone start week one. So, alrighty. Joe, that's enough of the news roundup and everything. Let's talk about what we're going to be looking at here in the future. Again, we each picked five storylines that we're going to have our eyes on throughout the rest of fall camp here. So we'll go ahead and get started with my first one here. This is a situation I've already touched on a couple of times in the past with CTN, so I'll try to go over it relatively quickly. But to me, this might be the most important running back battle in the entire country when it comes to college fantasy production. Obviously, B. John Robinson, I should probably say, I'm talking about the Texas running back battle here. B. John Robinson was an absolute beast the last couple of years. Steve Sarkeesian, wherever he goes, he has a 1,000-yard running back, and he has even bragged about that to the media. It makes it seem like pretty clear he intends to do that again this year. The problem is he's got three pretty good options in guys that he can go with. Between Jonathan Brooks, who's kind of the veteran of the program, Jadon Blue, who's a uh, redshirt freshman or true sophomore. I forget how many games he played last year. Regardless, he's, he's in his second year at the program. And then now you're also bringing in a five-star running back, Cedric Baxter Jr., which a lot of people thought, seeing that Blue didn't really play a lot last year and that Jonathan Brooks doesn't seem like an all-world talent, maybe Cedric Baxter can kind of come in and pull a Bijan and almost start, if not right away, by the end of the season here. So the latest the latest stuff out of camp says that Jonathan Brooks looks ready to go and got the first reps at fall camp. But I'm still going to keep an eye on this scenario. I'm not taking that Jonathan Brooks got the first reps at camp as gospel, that he is going to keep that the rest of the time there. I do think they are going to let this play out because... Again, quite frankly, like whichever one of these guys like becomes the guy for Texas is going at an absolute discount in college fantasy drafts right now. But not everybody agrees. Our own Nicholas Ian Allen, uh, with his projections that are coming out later this week, if you're listening to this on Monday, um, he is projecting currently, he still has Brooks as the RB1, but he only has him going about 126 carries, 763 yards, and nine touchdowns, far lower than what we've seen out of the likes of Bijan Robinson, Najee Harris, and all the other Sarkeesian running backs we've had over the last couple of years. Joe, where do you fall here? Am I, spend, am I spending too much time worrying about a running back situation that could become a committee for the first time under Sarkeesian? Or do you think that one of these guys will separate themselves and we're getting a guy at a huge discount right now? I think you are getting a guy at a discount, but I don't know if we'll see it early in the season or if it's going to happen maybe later an injury happens someone just struggles to find consistency i think when you lose the fact that you lose Bijan and you lose roshan johnson you lose two talented running backs and the fact that you still should be just fine i i think that's a luxury that not very many teams have Mm -hmm. so if anything you're just in a rotation which for fantasy isn't great because uh, you're kind of playing roulette with, okay, well, who's is Baxter going to go off this week? Is, is, is any of these guys, what what's going to happen 
And then you throw on, on top of that, you have a passing attack that should be lethal as well. So maybe they don't need a guy to be a thousand yard rusher because Quinn Ewers in that passing attack is gashing up everybody in the big 12. So that's a whole different level uh, of problems and a problems that not again, not a lot of programs have. So I think right now, it's kind of that you can't really predict who's going to be if anybody's going to be a thousand yard rusher, but it's not a bad problem to have for Steve Sarkeesian to be able to have this much talent and not really have to worry about if, if we only have one guy, is he going to produce? And then how far is the drop off? Cause right now the top three guys, there's not much of a drop off between them. If you had to pick one of these guys to go for a thousand yards, Joe, which one would you kind of lay your bets on? I, I always lean towards experience. I'm always kind of skeptical when people expect freshmen to step up, though in the new era of college football, it's not uncommon to see freshmen step in right away and compete at a high level. So I think I would probably lean Brooks if I have to pick someone. I would agree. But the hype with Baxter is is growing very quickly. So that's that would be my close second option. Alrighty. Let's talk about one of your storylines that you're following this fall, Joe. You want to talk about SMU and them entering a new era with a new quarterback. Talk to us about the Mustangs here. What are you looking for? I just really like Rhett Lashley's track record with his quarterbacks. You look at what he did with Nick Marshall and their their title run at Auburn. You look at Jeremy Johnson's probably not a great example to bring up because he was just one of the most overhyped quarterbacks in college football history. But his ability to work with Jared Stidham, Shane Bouchelle, D.R. King, Tyler Van Dyke in the, the year that we were talking about him as a top 10 pick. Yep. So, And then you throw Tanner Mordecai in last year as well. Yep. I think that Rhett Lashley has done a great job of creating explosive quarterbacks, and it helps to have the weapons that SMU does have coming back this year and via the transfer portal. So I, I think a guy like Preston Stone, who a lot of SMU fans that I've interacted with they wanted him to start last year. They mm-hmm. wanted Mordecai out. They wanted Preston Stone in. And obviously Mordecai provided that stability that they, I think, kind of needed. But Preston Stone, to me, has the higher ceiling. And it's just a matter of getting him on the field and getting him that experience. So I like the the track record of Rhett Lashley, the talent that SMU has on their roster, and then the talent that you have in Stone that is just waiting to be unleashed. Preston Stone was the highest rated recruit SMU has ever landed. Not just at the quarterback position, just any position regardless. Totally get why fans and donors alike would be just absolutely itching to see this guy on the field, especially last year when SMU was just kind of middling throughout most of the year. Lots of calls for Mordecai to be benched earlier on and be like, hey, we're not doing anything this year. We're barely going to make a bowl game. Let's just go ahead and get our young guy out there and start building towards next year. And looks like that's exactly what they did. They got some, they got Stone some run at the end of the year. You know, didn't look fantastic. Again, he's the guy that's starting for the first time. But, you know, he, again, Lashley has been connected with Stone for a while now. They clearly like the system that they put together there. So, I, I totally agree with you that I think they wanted to start him earlier and start building towards something earlier, but man, Mordecai just kept coming back. And I think finally this offseason, they're like, hey, like Tanner, you gotta go, buddy. Like, 
like we're starting stone this year you can find yourself an opportunity elsewhere which we'll see how he does at wisconsin so should be should be a ton of fun over there at smu again obviously we still got to figure out the wide receiver situation just a little bit over there i'm so big on jordan Curley, but jake bailey's a name i'm kind of keeping an eye on now they bring in the um former four-star wide receiver jordan hudson who had some uh who had a kind of a breakout performance with tcu last year towards the end of the year he looked really good and then they got they got i swear to god they bring in like five transfers like every offseason um with their with their receiver room and they just see who sticks but still got some of that to figure out but we know that one of those guys is gonna be absolutely dominant this year so we shall see let's move on to our next storyline here and we'll keep it in the g5 but we're gonna go way out west we're gonna go farther out west than even california we're gonna go hawaii here again this is another one i've kind of touched on so i'm gonna kind of go through this one relatively quickly i promise you guys we'll talk about some stuff that i haven't talked about before but man this hawaii run and shoot offense is one of the biggest mysteries in college football right now we know this again if they say they're going to run the run and shoot and they say they have the pieces to do so this is going to be an epically productive offense for college fantasy this year again hawaii having such a home field advantage they'll be able to take advantage of the defenses when they travel out there they already play in the mountain west which is not really the strongest of defensive conferences there they should put up a ton of points there the problem is getting god like getting information out of some of these beat reporters for hawaii or just anybody over there is like pulling teeth we kind of see that Braden Shager has settled the quarterback competition. Okay, great. That's fine. I think he's going at a pretty good discount in a lot of college fantasy drafts. But we also know there's going to be a productive wide receiver in this system. And we have a couple guys we like, Jonah Pinoke and Jalen Walhall. Problem is, both those guys are outside guys. And typically in the run and shoot system, it's a slot guy that you want to see. And we have zero information really on who that starting slot guy is going to be a couple of people like um shuki hines um tamatoa makiawa timalala is another name that people are kind of throwing out there a little bit i've joked around with chris moxley before that maybe tylen hines their running back wide receiver hybrid moves over to the slot that would be absolutely awesome but probably not going to happen based on camp what little camp reports we've seen already i don't know joe do you know anything about Hawaii in the receiver situation that I haven't been able to uncover? Jared, I think if I know something, then I, I, I'm i more well-connected than I realize. Uh, but no, I think one thing that I'm looking forward to, obviously college football is not the same as we've learned this past week. It's headed to a different direction. But I'm hoping that with where we're headed, it, it means – maybe some more transparency when it comes to information. Now, obviously that's difficult to do with 133 teams. Not every outlet can afford to have a beat writer. And mm -hmm. it, it, I honestly, the, the biggest thing, even if you do have a beat reporter is colleges, unlike the NFL aren't required to release certain information. They don't no. necessarily have to give you what you want to know, which is unfortunate, especially with some of these smaller schools, you'd think that you'd want as much press as possible you'd want yeah. as much attention as possible obviously there's bad that comes with that but it's just so tough to predict some of these things and, and teams like hawaii are even tougher because they're almost they're essentially they are on an island by themselves so i think that's Quite really literally. tough yeah literally and, and so it's uh it's it's a tough situation for everybody uh 
it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people just really like Hawaii. We always talk about their their late games and whatnot. And back in the day when Colt Brennan and Timmy Chang were running the show, and obviously Timmy Chang's trying to bring that back. But I think that if things are going to get better, then you're going to see them get more attention and maybe we'll get more information at that point. But at that point, we essentially can see the box scores. We know who's doing what. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, let's move on to, again, I'm, I talked about my offensive system that I'm keeping an eye on. You want to know what's going on over there at Chapel Hill with the Tar Heels of North Carolina. Tell us about what you want to know when it comes to UNC changing their offensive coordinator here, Joe. Yeah, so Chip Lindsey, to me, at first when I was doing this, I was very skeptical of Chip Lindsey's system. And when I did more research, it, it was better than I thought. But I do worry that his system takes this, maybe this offense takes a step back. When you have a talent like Drake May, it's kind of hard to do that because he's so good. But I think it's just going to look drastically different. And to me, it feels like Lindsey features the running game more which isn't a bad thing when you are four or five deep at the running back room. Uh, but for, for fantasy, that's not a good thing because nope. you're, again, you're back to playing in roulette with who's going to be the breakout guy. It felt like last year it was like, oh, well, Elijah Green's having a good game. Let's just buy his stock. And then the next week, Maureen Hampton's like, hey, actually, I'm going to be the guy. And then British Brook, it, it was just a non, a never-ending cycle of – who is going to be RB1 yep. this week? And you just don't really know. So for fantasy, it's not great. For uh, for an offense just in general, that's incredible depth to have. The, the fact that they have this many talented players and all of them at times have had flashes of greatness where you're just like, oh, this guy's a dude, but we just don't have enough touches to go around. It's the same thing with pass catchers. And who's going to be that go-to guy? J.J. Jones is obviously super explosive. Devontae Walker has been getting a lot of love and appears to be settling in quite nicely with this team. And you're just so deep at wide receiver, even at tight end, when you have Bryson Nesbitt and Kamari Morales, it's great to have that many players. But again, for fantasy, it's like, who, who do I really want to invest in? You're probably not going to take them early on because that's just a waste of a pick when number two or number three is going to take over eventually. Mm -hmm. So in terms of fantasy, it's not great, but in terms of for Mac Brown and Chip Lindsay, it's great. It just comes down to what does that offensive line do to help out the skill positions? Yeah, pretty much my big thing. And a lot of our hangups in the fantasy community with Lindsay, you kind of already touched on it. One, he loves to spread the ball around. He is not big on finding one receiver or one running back. It's by committee pretty much everywhere except for the quarterback, which maybe that helps out Drake May just a little bit. But even still, my really big thing is you kind of touched on like his history with offense is a little bit better than we kind of give him credit for. Here's the problem. Last year at UCF, he was directly tied with Gus Malzahn. He was running Gus Malzahn's system. And then you kind of go through Troy, his years at Troy. None of those offenses were great. In fact, Troy's offense significantly decreased when he became the head coach and then significantly increased the year after he left. So that's kind of a big red flag right there. His one stint, one year stint at Arizona State was not very good. And then you go to 2014 and 2015 Southern Miss, you're like, holy crap, that's like an awesome offense here. Like you've got, you got quarterbacks that are throwing for 35, 4,000 yards. 
that's because he was the offensive coordinator under Todd Munkin, who was the head coach at that time for Southern Miss. He was running, again, somebody else's system. So what we have to pray as fantasy owners is that Mac Brown brings him in and says, hey, we got a bunch of guys left over from last year, both in players and staff. They're going to tell you how to run the system that we ran last year and just run that system. That's what we got to hope for. Hopefully we don't have Lindsey actually putting his fingerprints over all of this because that could lead to disaster for guys like Drake May who are going in the first round of fantasy drafts. Any more thoughts, Joe? Can we move on to the next one? I think we can move on. You said it perfectly. All righty. Let's go ahead and talk about a team that I really think I have not touched on enough this offseason, and that is Utah. Again, we have kind of the assumptions here. Brant Keithy coming back from his injury last year. He should be good to go. We'll touch on that a little bit here. Uh, Jaquinton Jackson, I am big on him being the starting running back for Utah this year. Yes, I think they have a pretty deep running back situation there, so he probably doesn't get the like as high of a volume as some running backs we've seen in the past, but he gets the important touches, and that are the goal line ones. He was a touchdown machine last year to end the season, so I'm fully in on Jaquinton Jackson. But this injury situation between Cameron Rising and Brant Keith here is something I'm going to be keeping an eye on over the next couple of weeks. Again, for the longest time, we just assumed that Brant Keithy was going to be back and good to go for week one at Utah. And the word is that that is still happening. However, there is some word that he is slow to start for fall camp. Not quite back to 100% yet. And again, obviously, people say that he is on track for week one. That's great. But we've seen situations like when they come into fall camp, they're not quite 100%. That can change pretty quickly. So I'm going to definitely keep an eye on Brent Keithy. The other one is Cam Rising. This is so much harder to track down when it comes to, one, when does he come back? And then two, will he be the same when he comes back? Again, Rising, a dual threat guy, a guy that that's where you get a lot of his value from. I mean, he threw threw for 3,000 yards last year. So that's obviously, if you can repeat that again, that's going to be super nice there. But really, it's the almost 500 yards rushing and six touchdowns that you really want to have him with here. Really great article out of the Salt Lake Tribune by Andy Larson kind of really broke this down in terms of what is the likelihood of him making it back for week one. Again, for those of you who need a reminder, rising towards ACL in the in the Rose Bowl against Penn State. So this is super late in the season. In fact, like right at the new year. So a lot of times, and this is according to the article, the average recovery time for an ACL tear is 11.6 months. Now, obviously, these are athletes. Obviously, these are people who have state-of-the-art medical resources in terms of being able to rehab better and everything. So that timeline is going to be shortened just a little bit. But even still, getting back by the first or second or the last week of August, first week of September, definitely, definitely a tall order. We had a couple of comments from the offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig this week who said that Rising will be very limited this first week. We'll get a feel for where he is health-wise, but he is clear to move and throw and drop. So for those who are kind of worried about his passing, it seems like he is kind of good to go there. Continuing the quote here, he is going to get some work there. Uh, we are just um, we are just really going to limit team type of plays where he has to have sudden reactions. But he's still going to get a lot of throws early on in camp. So again, very sounds like he's very good to go there when it comes to the passing game. But the big thing is, again, that rushing ability. And again, this article from the Salt Lake Tribune actually dives into that a little bit 
in terms of what do players look like fantasy wise in the years after their in the years after their ACL injuries. The good news is, according to this article, that quarterbacks do not see a huge drop off after their ACL injuries, except in one area, and that is rushing touchdowns. Because again, you're coming back from the injury, you're a lot more careful, you're not going to put your body on the line as much as you had in the past to get those touchdowns. So basically, my reaction to this is I'm a little bit hesitant on Cam Rising now, because again, maybe he throws for more than he did last year, but if you cut his rushing down like in half and give him half the touchdowns, not quite as great of a fantasy option as we've had the last couple of years. So I've been talking too long there. Joe? Your thoughts on Utah Cam Rising situation here. And have you uh, taken a look at Mr. Brandon Rose, the backup quarterback there? And if you have any thoughts on him, we would love to hear it. I, I have not, but I, I can tell you that a talent like Cam Rising is not going to be someone you can just replace easily. Uh, so that's it's going to be a step back, but the talent that they have around him will make life a little bit easier. But yeah, kind of like you said, the fantasy implications from this hurt quite a bit because cam rising isn't exactly this air raid passer they're just not going to spread out the field and why would you especially with jaquin and jackson so if anything jackson's stock is going to rise maybe they just decide to go all southern miss on it and have jackson the former quarterback play quarterback and we're throwing wild yeah, fair the entire time uh but yeah i think the biggest thing which isn't like a fantasy part of it it, it is cam rising's ability to elevate his team in big games you look at what they did to usc twice last year yep uh, obviously that was a huge thing he's just a good leader that's going to help his offense he's maybe not the best statistical player on this team but they again they have plenty of talent around him so even if he's not doing things this team should be better it's just that fantasy wise you're probably going to put him later in drafts if you do decide to take him all righty let's move on to your next storyline that you're looking at here joe you want to go way down south to the beaches of a Miami, and you're looking at their offensive coordinator down there. Tell us about Shannon Dawson this year. What are your thoughts on him? So it's kind of similar to Chip Lindsay. I, I'm curious to see what he does without Dana, because when you look at his previous stops, you know, we always, we always look at 2012 and Geno Smith and what he did there. And um, Dawson was there as OC under Dana. Then he goes to Kentucky in 2015 and it doesn't have a ton of success. And for a few years, he goes to Southern Miss. They're fairly average. And so he's kind of on his own, doesn't have Dana helping him out. And then you go back to Houston for the last couple of years. And Clayton Toon obviously has a great couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. Houston gets to the AAC championship game. But again, he's under Dana. So does he need Dana Holgerson to succeed? I do like what he did with tune. I think that he obviously had some sort of impact and maybe he's learned a thing or two from Dana. Now, maybe he's figured out what did I do wrong in these previous stops and what did I learn how to be successful at Houston? And everybody wants Tyler Van Dyke to do well. I think that's one thing I've noticed is people want Tyler Van Dyke to be back to where he was when rat Lashley was running the show. So yep. getting Miami back to the top of the ACC is also another thing that I'm looking forward to. Cause I think that college football is better when Miami is good. And it's just a matter of what does Mario Cristobal do 
to allow I mean, Dawson's essentially now on his own. He doesn't have Dana helping him out. Uh, so what is, how long is that leash? What does Cristobal allow him to do? What is he going to learn from his previous stops that he's able to bring to Miami? Cause you're, you're going to an ACC conference that has plenty of talented defenses. So, and you have, you have to be able to turn this program around or fans are going to get really sick of Cristobal really quick. And the offense has been a big reason why. Mm-hmm. So if, if Tyler Van Dyke is back to where we've seen him before, or even just better than where he's been last year, then I, I think that this is going to be a, a good fit, a good pairing. But I also have some reservations about is Shannon Dawson a legit coordinator or is this just Dana Holgerson doing all the work? I think I have a lot of the same questions when it comes to Shannon Dawson. I I don't really have too much to add here. I think you did a really good job covering the back and forth that pretty much anybody has when they're looking at this Miami offense going into this year. Again, I just hope for two things. One, I hope Dawson in his second stint under Holgerson paid attention a little bit more in terms of how to run an offense. And then two, like you kind of said, does Cristobal actually get out of the way? That's kind of been a big thing with Cristobal over the last couple of years. He's made some really good offensive coordinator hires, but then he just kind of keeps his hands involved just a little bit too much because he wants to protect his offensive line. He wants to protect his defense. He wants to get all those guys involved and everything like that. Very much in the same way Kirby Smart was at um, during the first couple of years there at Georgia before he fully took his hands off with Todd Munkin and said, like, hey, no, you run the offense. Like, I'm not getting involved in this as much anymore. So I'm hoping that's something that happens here. Again, I'm hoping Dawson runs a better offense than he has in the past without Dana because I'm... I'm I agree with you 100%. Like, I'm just rooting for Tyler Van Dyke. I think he's a dude that's pretty easy to root for. Um, they got Again, it's fun to kind of see Miami get back to where it has been before. Um, kind of putting all those pieces together could be a ton of fun there. And definitely a lot of those guys are going way later in drafts right now. If they are able to put things together, that could be a absolute steal of an offense to get involved with there. But we shall see. Next storyline here, we're going up to the big boys here. We got to touch on this because, like, it, when you think of storylines to follow in college football, I don't think there's anybody out there that's not paying attention to the Alabama quarterback battle. Like, you're talking about, again, obviously, Ohio State's got one going right now, but it's kind of, it seems like Kyle McCord's kind of got that in hand. Georgia's got a quarterback battle, but it seems like Carson Beck's kind of ha- kind of has that in hand. Totally different story at Bama where you got three options here that pretty much I think I've heard everybody have a different answer as to who they think is going to win it out here in the end. Like why? So why is this important? Like basically, again, it's it's Bama. They're going to score 40 points a game. They're like, even if they don't have as great of quarterback play as they've had the last couple of years, they're still going to be dominant. They're going to destroy most of their schedule. And you're going to want a dual threat guy who's going to be putting up points in a team that's going to score 40 plus each week. If we knew the starting quarterback for Bama, they would be looked at as a top 24 option for college fantasy this year, especially with all of them having some dual threat ability to them. But all of them are going super late. Buckner goes round 19. He's the highest drafted out of the bunch. Both Milrow and Simpson are going round 20 plus. So you get a huge discount on taking shots on really any of these guys. None of these guys are going super highly here. We did get one open practice from Bama and got some really good notes out of Nick Kelly from Tuscaloosa News here. And he kind of put 
a lot of people's i don't want to say narratives but like their their preconceived notions about what this room looks like kind of on their head or at least half of us like half of us were kind of big on milro half of us are big on buckner coming in and taking it over immediately but milro was usually getting the first team reps then simpson then buckner and from the way that kelly describes it there's kind of a clear separation between buckner and the other two and not in a good way buckner was still learning the system according to kelly's notes he still has a bit of a way to go with that because he's a lot of people said that like oh he has a connection with reese he knows reese's system the problem is in alabama they don't run tommy reese's system they run the bama system and Reese is running the Bam- and Reese's job is to run the Bama system. So Buckner is still learning a new system here and is behind the eight ball when it comes to those other two guys there. Now, I think if Buckner can put it all together, he might have the highest ceiling out of these three right here. But even still, amongst this one practice, we saw Milro reportedly looked pretty good, very fluid, very consistent. It's just the real question with him is can that translate to the game? Because once he was starting, he made plenty of interceptions and mistakes there. They're hoping that changes this year. Simpson, clear talent, struggles with consistency. And again, Kelly kind of finished the kind of finished his note saying like there is opportunity for all three QBs to get the job, but it kind of reiterated that Buckner is kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to those other two. So Joe. How do you react to that? Were you somebody who thought Buckner was going to come in and take the job, or are you big on Milrow, or you maybe you didn't think it didn't matter at the end of the day who got the starting job? What do you think? I was not high on Tyler Buckner. I thought the move was kind of questionable, honestly. Uh, Tommy Reese is someone who I think people talked about him more than they should have, just because I mean Notre Dame had some some decent offenses in his time there, but it wasn't anything that I was worried about on a consistent basis. So good enough, obviously get him promoted to Alabama. So that's saying something, but I was not high on bringing Buckner in. I didn't see anything last year. I mean, the the one memory I have from him is the Ohio state game at the beginning of the year, which maybe I should give him some more grace because week one, obviously looked drastically different than the end of the season, but Tyler Buckner just wasn't someone that impressed me. And I'm not surprised that he's the third option. And the the other two options is really what I thought would be what we come down to. And it's just a matter of does Milrow figure it out? And just honestly, I don't, I think that with the talent you bring to Alabama, you don't necessarily have to be a world beater. And obviously replacing Bryce young wasn't going to be easy. And Jalen Milrow was never going to be Bryce young, nor was Ty Simpson, but finding a way to, to be yourself and do what you do best. And Milrow can be extremely explosive with his legs. And it's just a matter of utilizing the talent you have out wide. I think that we overhype the Alabama wide receivers. I think Jermaine Burton was one of the most overhyped wide receiver transfers, maybe of all time. Guilty. Uh, obviously he has, he has the talent. He's explosive, but it was like, he didn't do anything at Georgia that wowed me. And then all of a sudden, because he's going to Alabama, he's suddenly this, Maybe it's the Bryce Young effect, but I, I don't know. I wasn't super impressed with him. Jacory Brooks I like a little bit, but I think everybody else has to prove something to me. So this offense is in a position of – I think they they were lucky to have Bryce Young. I think he masked a lot of their deficiencies. For sure. And I think the skill positions were probably the biggest culprit for that. I really like their offensive line. You can obviously pick offensive line in college fantasy, but uh, I, I think that that helps 
So it's just a matter of does the quarterback position get figured out soon enough? And can those skill position players step up to make an impact? Yeah, I've, I've been on the record saying that I think Bama's going to run the ball a ton this year. Again, between all three of the quarterbacks having some dual threat ability, they have a very steep or steep, deep, stable of running backs there. Again, I love Jace McClellan this year, but again, Jam Miller, Roydell Williams, and true freshman Justice Haynes, they're all going to get involved this year. I mean, Richard Young probably going to get some touches here and there as well. That is their strength. And like you just mentioned, they have an incredible, they got a great offensive line to build with this year. I do think that's where they're going to have their focus be for the most part. But kind of like you said earlier, this goes back to Boise State as well. Like, you got to be able to pass the ball somewhat. Otherwise, teams are going to key in on you. Even if you are Alabama, you can maul, just straight up maul 90% of the competition. There's going to be a team that you face eventually, like an LSU, like a Texas A&M. Like, as much as we write off Texas A&M because of their, the way that they played last year, they're still a very talented team. And so like when they get things turned on, they can push a team like Bama. We saw them push Bama last year. So we will definitely see there. Let's move on to your next storyline here, Joe. You want to go back to the group of five with this next one, and you want to go back out west with this one as well. Talk to us about Colorado State, and what are you interested in learning this fall? Uh, this is two-part one, and I really like what Jay Norvell has done. I was honestly skeptical of him becoming Nevada's head coach. I wasn't really sure what we would get out of him. And I was pleasantly surprised what they were able to do with Carson Strong, Romeo Doves. I think that you're looking at a coach who knows how to elevate programs and someone who's going to do the same thing with Colorado State. It's just a matter of getting Clay Millen to take that step forward. You look at what he did with his quarterbacks at Nevada and Clay Millen. A lot of people really liked him coming into Colorado State, and obviously he was talented enough to win the starting job in year one. So what does he do to take a step forward from year one to year two? I think that he can be more explosive, which would help this team. But then after that, it's who's going to be wide receiver too. Now, the fact that Corey Horton had 1,100 yards of Millen's 1,900 is insane. Absolutely insane. College football is very good. Coaches are very good. At, okay, well, we know this guy is their dude. We're sending extra help his way, and he still had over 1,100 yards. Still blows my mind, and I think that people aren't aren't accepting that as incredible as much as they should. But this year is going to be a big, big uh, opportunity for somebody to step up behind him because teams are going to – they have a full season of tape. They know – how to send help his way, maybe defend him a little bit better. That opens up the field for somebody else. Now, who that is remains to be seen, but there's a few options. Justin Justice Ross Simmons is an option coming back. Average over 16 yards per catch last year. Uh, Dalen Folker, a tight end. Dylan Goffney comes in from SMU. Uh, another one I think SMU was disappointed to lose, but he's someone that could step up as well. So they have options. And with the fact that Horton's going to command a lot more attention, wide receiver two is a very interesting position, which could also turn into wide receiver one because teams are trying to take away Horton. Then someone like these three guys that I mentioned could step up and suddenly become wide receiver one production wise. I, I, one, I like what you're saying about the wide receiver two at Colorado State, I don't like the idea of Torrey Horton being regulated to wide receiver two because everybody's focusing on him. Um, at least all my Torrey Horton shares I've drafted in the first round definitely don't like that idea. But I, if you want to name, I'm fully in on Justice Ross Simmons. 
this year as their number two guy there. He was a true freshman last year, finishes the wide receiver two on the team. That's always impressive to me. Um, again, like you mentioned, he had 16 yards per catch. It was just clear and above pretty much everybody else in that room, except for Torrey Horton. Like every, everybody else in the, what was it, top one, two, or three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out of the top eight receivers for Colorado State last year, he was the only one outside of Horton that had over 10 yards per catch. So clearly, they, it is a guy that can they can target deep. They can trust a little bit more with some of those passes. So I think he's going to make a huge step in his true sophomore year here. He should be absolutely incredible for them. I like Dylan Goffney, but kind of like we've already touched on with a couple of transfers already, he's got to come in and he's got to learn the system. Now, it's not an incredibly complicated system, but at the same time, it does kind of put him behind the eight ball for a guy like Ross Simmons, who you know started all of last year. I do think Goffney can overtake a guy like McCullough, who I think they wanted to rely on last year, but again, he just wasn't super impressive. Um, but again, with Colorado State, we talk about the wide receivers, we talk about Clay Millen, they got to figure out this offensive line. It was absolutely atrocious last year. Clay Millen couldn't get anything going last year because he was getting sacked within less than three seconds. It was absolutely, absolutely brutal for them. Now they bring in, I think they replaced the entire offensive line through the transfer portal this offseason. So I'm hoping that happens because I do, again, this is a system that is great for fantasy in the past. It is going to be a tall task to take an offense that went, who did not hit 20 points last year once and then have them go back to being 35 to, or 30, 35 points per game. That is a tall, tall task right there. So as much as I want to believe in the bounce back for Colorado State, it may be something to where it's not quite where we want it to be this year. But I'm, I'm always hoping. All right, we'll cover our last two storylines we wanted to hit on here. My last one. When you get into fall camps, a lot of times, you know, I've looked at pretty much every team by this point in the season. Again, we put together a CFF draft. I got to look through all those depth charts and everything like that, make sure things are good to go there. But there's still a couple of teams that I still don't quite feel like I have my finger on in terms of what the heck is actually going to happen over there. And one of those teams I'm heavily going to be putting some time into during fall camps is James Madison, because it feels like there's nothing settled with the Monarchs over here. Starting with their quarterback, they got Jordan McLeod, the transfer out of Arizona. They also have Billy Atkins and Barnett, two guys that were there with the program already. But then you also bring in Brett Griffiths, the younger brother of Mitch Griffiths, who's at Wake Forest right now. All four guys during spring camp were taking shots with the first team at one point or another. Now, the recent reports are saying that McLeod in the first days of the fall camp is the one taking first team reps, but the coaches are also saying the competition is still wide open, so maybe that changes in the next coming days. They give some other guys a chance there. But we know that quarterback is going to be import- important for college fantasy. Todd Santeo, who is not a good quarterback, was the QB 19 last year in this offense. He is like it, You don't need to be an all-world beater. I know that McLeod is not a good quarterback. You don't need to be in the Sun Belt. You don't need to be for the Monarchs who have a really prolific system there. Running backs. Percy Agie Obese um, was the RB81 last year, but he's also injured for part of the season. So if he played all 12 games, he probably would have finished as a top 40 running back for CFF. So that is a place for you to get some value right now because guys like Kalen Black and Latrell Palmer 
are going super, super late in your drafts. And those two guys are kind of going back and forth there. Palmer was the backup for POA two years ago uh, when he went down with injury. So we got to see Latrell Palmer for a pretty decent amount of time there. He looked okay, not great. And then he was the backup for most of last year, putting up almost 400 yards. But then something interesting happened. Kalen Black started to outperform a Palmer on a per carry basis last year by almost a full yard, 4.8 versus 4 point, or 3.9. Black also overtook Palmer in the number of carries in the last three games. Palmer got 18 carries the last three games. Black got 38. So Black clearly overtook him there. I'd like to think that Black is that next guy up, but again, we just don't really have any kind of confirmation there. They also bring in Tyson Lawton, a transfer from Stony Brook with plenty of starting experience there. So no settlement there whatsoever. And last but not least, the wide receivers. We don't know what's going on with the wide receivers. Because we had um, Chris Thornton last year, finishes a wide receiver 26, would have finished higher if he could get a damn touchdown outside of the first three weeks. Um... Like, yeah, he was wide receiver 15 through week seven, just couldn't get touchdowns the second half of the season. It drove me nuts. But he's gone. So we clearly don't have that guy. So where do, where do we go with receiver? Do we go with Reggie Brown, who's a returning starter from last year? He's the only returning starter in a room full of transfers. But he also plays on the outside. The system targeted Chris Thornton last year, who played in the slot. So where do we go with the slot? Do we go to Amari and Dollison, who does have a connection with McLeod during their time at South Florida? But... At the same time, one, I don't even know if Donaldson's starting because I don't know any information. I don't know who the starters are to, to target here. Again, it's, it's, it's driving me nuts. I want to see some settlement here with James Madison. Joe, you know anything about James Madison or are you just as frustrated as I am? Kind of back to what we were talking about with Hawaii, These, especially the group of five teams. Finding information about them is very challenging. You either have to reach out directly, and even then that's not a guarantee to work just because – you have uh, you probably have limited resources and, and that program or these programs probably just give out such little information. But Jordan McLeod's interesting to me. I think his time at USF, you saw a couple of flashes of what he could do. You saw someone who could be an explosive playmaker, but consistently just wasn't there. It obviously was enough to get him to go to Arizona, but then obviously that didn't work out. I just trust what James Madison is doing. It's one of those, they're just a program that's built on stability, having that high floor where you're not having such a volatile season. So I don't have too many concerns. Uh, if I was going to, if I was going to invest in James Madison in terms of college fantasy, I would invest in a thing that nobody invests in, which is their defense because their defense will be really exciting this year. Uh, so if you're, I guess if you're drafting a defense, James Madison as a whole would be one of those the groups to to pick, but I think there's a lot of things to figure out offensively, specifically quarterback. I, I like the stability they have at running back, whether it's black, whether it's Palmer, I, I think you have two good options there. Wide receiver is talented. You, again, you just have to find someone who uh, finds chemistry with the, whoever wins the quarterback job and, and who else can get open essentially. So I, I like the talent they have. I like the culture that they have. It's just a matter of finding those pieces to, to complement a defense that should be really good. I definitely agree. And again, I'm going to have my eyes on this team a ton this fall camp, trying to find any information I can glean there. Let's touch on your last storyline that you want to take a look at here, Joe. We actually touched on them a little bit earlier when I brought up how talented this team is. 
Texas A&M, you looking at a Connor Wegman breakout here? What do you think, Joe? I am a big fan of Connor Wegman. I believe that he, as long as he is in the right system, then be a great weapon for Texas A&M. And obviously that is the biggest question. And we make a ton of jokes about Jimbo Fisher. When you Will you give Bobby Petrino full control of the offense? I don't think he's going to get 100% control, but how much control he gets will really determine how good this team is. When you look at what Petrino's done in the past, his offense is a really explosive and you're able to get guys out in space. And that's something that benefits a team that's loaded with talent. I mean, you didn't spend 30 million. I mean, recruit the top recruiting class <laughs> in the country to, to just run a pro style outdated offense. Like mm-hmm. this isn't kind of going back to Alabama. This isn't 2011 where you can still run the football and Jacob Coker can win you a national championship. You need a quarterback to be an impact player. You need your quarterback to be a weapon. And right now you're kind of handcuffing yourself with Jimbo's offense. You're just not giving your kids the best opportunity to win. And hopefully they give Petrino more control of the offense because they have so much talent to utilize. Even just the passing game is really where I focused. And obviously I think if Wegman has a better year, that opens things up for Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, I think Moose Muhammad might be the better receiver between the two, but we'll see. I think Ooh, when, if you're that is, debating that is. between those two, I, it's it's tough. It's not like I think Muhammad is is that much better than Stewart, but I, I really liked what I saw. Obviously, the consistency needs to step up, but I think a lot of that stems from what does the offense look like. You also have Aeneas Smith coming back. So I think you have a lot of options to utilize. It's just a matter of if Jimbo's going to get out of his own way. I, I'm super interested in learning more about uh, you picking Muhammad over Stewart because I like Muhammad too. I think, again, Stewart goes pretty high in CFF drafts, but like Muhammad goes way, way later. But like, you know, Muhammad had some really, really good targets um, last year along with Evan Stewart. He had two 12, 12 target games, uh, finished with 12, 12 targets over the last two games for Texas A&M. And that was when he and Jimbo were having like whatever beef during the last couple of games. That was weird as hell there but i wasn't, with, didn't wasn't muhammad the one that got got picked out of the sideline for wearing like the wrong colored it was that was like him that. no it was a uh, sleeves uh, it was the sleeves. sleeves that's right yeah something oh dumb gosh. like that I, I, it, was, it was weird um but uh maybe i have to change my mind maybe stewart's better because he's on the field more <laughs> no no dude I, I like it i like it be bold like that that's that's fun i, I like it um when it comes to Connor Wigman's breakout, I'm not super interested in Wigman for fantasy reasons. Again, there's two. Uh, again, this goes back to Nate Marquise. I think he put it as succinctly as you can do. When you're looking for quarterbacks in college fantasy football, you want one of two things. You either want a dual threat guy or you want a guy that's going to throw for 500 times during the season. Connor Wigman does not really apply to both of either one of those. Now, Wigman can run. Again, he ran for almost 100 yards last year on 27 carries. But he's not like, they're not game planning for him to run. He can scramble, but he can't really, they're not going to make designed runs for him. So I'm not super interested in Wigman, but I am interested in is him providing a lot more consistency in the passing game for Evan Stewart and Moose Muhammad, kind of like you touched on there, Joe. Because again, down the stretch, both Muhammad and Stewart were getting just peppered and peppered with targets. Now... The touchdowns were not there to go along with it, but I think AM having a little bit better of an offensive scheme this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can see those touchdowns kind of come along with 
that game right there. And also, they're probably going to have to rely on the receivers a little bit more because as much as I like some of the talent in that Texas A&M running back room, I don't think they have a Devin A-Chain or an Isaiah Spiller that they can rely on consistently. At least not yet. Maybe that changes during the season. But looking at it now, I can't see it. All right. Well, Joe, that pretty much brings us to the end of our show here. I'm going to give you an opportunity here to discuss uh, some of the things you're going to be doing during the season. Again, you guys got an awesome team you're putting together there over at the College Football Network. So go ahead and tell the folks what it is that you guys are putting together. What are you guys working on? Yeah, new website, collegefootballnetwork.com. I got a good team. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, Cam Miller is in charge of of the site and, and is bringing on a bunch of different people to contribute to that. Uh, you know, we're trying to get all facets of college football. I think that's one thing that we're losing a little bit with recent developments and realignment is the college fantasy type of things, which makes you focus on a group of five yep. and that kind of stuff. So college fantasy will be something that we incorporate on the site. Uh, you, you look at player breakdowns, rankings, all, all that stuff that you expect from uh, a, a college football site maybe a little bit less on the news side of things unless mm-hmm. we have something to add to it we're not just going to be reporting things it's going to be more analysis and that kind of stuff so i'm definitely looking forward to it you guys are again you guys are all over twitter right now with a lot of the stuff you guys are putting out there with the player breakdowns absolutely great stuff should definitely go follow joe on twitter at joe broback spelled exactly how it sounds um and again check out the rest of their stuff i think you have the cf cfn 360 account in your bio so check out all of their stuff they're doing over there terms of announcements we got going on over here at chasing the natty and campus of canton again stuff is right around the corner for the season so be sure to tune in for those announcements in the coming weeks in terms of what is going on next week there will not be a live draft stream next weekend again we got an awesome one coming up this or this last week we have an awesome one with parker fleming of stats of war next week there will not be one as i will be in ohio for the awesome fantasy football expo where i will be participating in the king's classic cff live draft stream there that'll be on saturday morning at 11 a.m on the rookie big board youtube channel so be sure to tune into that matt uh, Matt Hicks and John Lobb are hosting that for the third year in a row. It's an honor to join them every single year. And it is probably the biggest draft that we do every single year. It is absolutely awesome. Be sure to check that out. But also because I will be in Ohio, you guys are getting some substitute teachers next week. Again, we're still working on the details about who will be taking over CTN for the week. But if it's who I think it's going to be, I think you guys are going to like it. So really appreciate you guys tuning in. Joe, you were absolutely awesome having you got, having you on. I hope each and every one of you have a wonderful and blessed weekend. See ya.